Hey, Nicole. Hi, John. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. I'm Nicole Mears. I'm John Davis. And this is our podcast, Shape the Conversation. Nicole and I work with a great team here at Shape.io, headquartered in Bend, Oregon. So we left our agency jobs as marketers to build software for digital advertising teams. We'll be talking about working in marketing and growing Shape.io on this podcast. Our goal is to just, like Nicole said, talk about what we've been through and hopefully impart some valuable maybe advice or at least uh, something for you to think about as you go along your day-to-day and shape your own conversations. Why should you listen to us? Well, we're a software company that's been able to reach profitability. We're outside of the Silicon Valley bubble. We did raise money in 2015, so we've seen the bootstrap side and this side of it too. So we've got a lot of different perspectives on how to attack different problems. And uh, on this episode, Nicole, what are we going to be talking about? So we'll be talking about how we made the decision to strike out on something new. So for you, it was really about creating, you know, the first iteration of shape.io, which was called study budget at the time, and may have even had another name before that. And for me, it was really about leaving a pretty comfortable, solid job, also three months pregnant, to decide I'm going to go work for a startup. Yeah, so it's the week of July 4th, America's independence. America made a big decision, make a big change in their their history. So that's that's what we're thinking, right? Like, how do you make a big change? How do you decide that it's the right time to either make a jump or make a change within your company to do a new job? What, what kind of things do you look at in your own life to let you know that you're ready or maybe not ready or if the opportunity is really there? So I think all we can do is really talk about it from our perspectives. I think from the outside looking in, what we did, me leaving job to start a company looks like a really risky thing to do on the outset. You leaving a pretty comfortable job, a place you've worked for six years to come work at a, a newer company. Eight and a half. Eight and a half years. Looks really risky at the outset. But I think breaking it down, like some of the moves or big moves you see people make, maybe maybe aren't quite as risky as you see at the outset. So you were working at an agency, moved through kind of the analyst jobs to the product jobs. Talk me through where were you at where you wanted to be in your career? Like what, what type of things did you look at when, when you wanted to make the push or the change? Yeah. So for me, it was a combination of wanting to push myself into something new and needing to be in a better spot just with creating a family at that point in time. So as John mentioned, I had gone from an, just a pay-per-click analyst to a senior analyst to a manager. So I really felt like from my agency role, I had fulfilled that kind of career path. I will say this, I would have liked to spend a little bit time, more time being a manager and, and really kind of building out my skills there. But as anyone who's managed a department knows, um, and especially in digital advertising where you're running into a lot of a lot of different, I mean, the industry is always constantly changing and you're managing a team that's always constantly changing. It's, it's wearing you, like it can wear you down. Everyone that I know that had that position has had it for about two years before they moved on. And that's about where I hit. So I decided at that point I wanted to get into product management. And my goal really in product management was to make everything I could better for the department that I came from. Now that was probably a little bit of naive 
understanding of what product management was and how much impact I'd be able to have right away. Yeah, I think the company we came for and both worked for, I left in 2013. You left just last year or so plus. Their digital marketing also with the software kind of platform, so there's a lot of interesting opportunities to bounce around and, and find jobs within product and being an analyst. And you were able to kind of explore a lot of different things. Do, do you feel like be able to try some of those different jobs in the fast-growing startup. And also, it was a great place to work. It was. <laughs> and I, that almost makes it harder sometimes to, to leave a place when it's a really gr- great place to be and work. I adored every single one of the people that I worked with. Um, even the people who I had you know, not necessarily easy relationships with, especially in being in a manager role, you have to deal with you know personalities that aren't necessarily aligned. I'm a type A personality. Not everyone I hired was. Even working with all those people, I absolutely adored every single person that I worked with. My difficulty, my learnings, my kind of experience really came from having to go up against things that I wasn't necessarily prepared for or expecting, both in a management and a product management role. One of the things with product management where I kind of felt that was a guiding presence to me being able to be ready to leave my job is I was able to push a couple things forward in a way that I felt happy with what I had executed to a point, but I was running into a lot of continued walls. And so I I did what I could. I, I released what I could. I felt good about that. And I, I made the decision that I had helped my team. I, I had reached what I could have helped that my previous team achieve yeah. and that I wasn't going to be able to necessarily push anything forward in a substantial way, which made me comfortable with the decision to leave. Now, that wasn't what motivated my decision to right. leave. I think that's a big piece of it, though. That's one part of feeling like you're ready to make a big change or make a shift is that where you're at you've you've got you're not leaving in chaos you're not running away from something absolutely and that's one of the proudest things that i did at my at least in the my manager role for my digital advertising team is i felt that i really successfully set up that team with a manager who i knew could execute and shepherd the team and that would continue to push the team forward. And that person did. That person made a, a lot of big strides that even I wasn't able to accomplish. And so I felt I felt really good about that. Now that was that was the manager role. So, you know, from the product management role, that was a little bit different, but it's just that was the case. How do you think about where the team you're gonna be leaving is? Cause I think a lot of people have guilt that I'm such an integral cog to this machine. They're not gonna be able to survive without me, but what I normally tell those people is that you're maybe not as important as you think, that those the teammates around you are probably going to figure it out. I know as I was transitioning out, one of the harder things for me emotionally to take was, you know, you make the announcement, a month or two later, you're going to leave. So like two weeks after that announcement that you're going to leave, they start to you know, not invite you to meetings anymore, or you don't get as many responsibilities around the office. And by the time you leave, you start to figure out like, wow, they're going to be fine. <laughs> and that, that isn't always easy to, to take or accept. So I, there was one, I may not be the norm, but there was one concept that my dad always taught me. And my dad, actually both my dad and my mom have been in business, um, specifically, you know, kind of like technology sales or insurance sales from the very start. And the thing that they taught me was that you are, as a manager, not as important as your team. You need to do everything to uplift your team. You need to do everything you possibly can to give your team credit. 
and not take it yourself. And so I always had in the back of my mind that I was never as important as my team and did everything I could. Now, that being said, there was a lot of things that I did that I felt like, who's going to take over this job? Who's going to do this? How am I going to impact or impart more work on my team than they're already taking on? Because our team at the time had a huge burden on their shoulders. Now, that doesn't mean they weren't strong as, you know, all get up and couldn't take more on. But I felt, I felt more guilt that I was putting more undue pressure on them to take on more work. Because hiring a new manager or shifting people around in that space isn't as quick as you think it's going to be. You're like, oh yeah, we'll just promote somebody and then somebody will move into their position and blah, blah, blah. No, it's not, it's not a quick two-week process. That's it, It's kind of why it blows my mind that we give two weeks notice and then we move on. In both the case where I moved, I got promoted from a manager to a product manager. I think that was a process of a month. And then actually leaving my job as a product manager at my former agency, it took me two months because I wanted to try to put them in a better position to have a new product manager come in and be able to take over my projects and my roles and et cetera, et cetera. And I still don't think they had hired someone by the time that I left. So, I mean, kind of circling back to around to your question, you, you have to have it in your mindset that they will be fine. Yeah. And even if they don't hire someone into your role, things will shift. They'll eventually make it work. I, or they won't, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's, there's definitely some cases where they won't, but y- you have to believe if you work for a strong enough organization, if you put enough hard work into building that organization up along with all of your team members, of course, yeah. that, that it's going to be fine. Yeah. And when we kind of started down the path, you said, actually, you were kind of looking to make the move for family reasons. And to have that, I think some of that could be counterintuitive, you know, like, why would you leave more of the steady job that you have already to, to jump to more of maybe an unknown, smaller company? But I think that that's a little bit of a misnomer, too, is that people think, oh, I'm going to jump to the smaller company. I'm going to have to do everything. I'm going to have to do X, Y, Z. But actually, you're on a smaller team. There's less meetings. There's more flexibility in terms of when you might be able to leave the office at 3 o'clock as opposed to managing a a team of 10 or 11 where you have to be present more often. And I think some people look at moving to a smaller company as a bigger risk when in a lot of cases it can give you more freedom. It's not necessarily now you're going to be shouldering way more of the load than you were at the bigger company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was definitely an adjustment. I mean, three months pregnant, you don't typically say, hey, I'm going to give up a job that I've had for eight and a half years where I'm making a great salary. I've got great benefits. I really love all of my coworkers. I think I've kind of figured out stuff. Now, that being said, along with that, I had a lot of stress that I had decided probably wasn't necessarily super healthy for me. And it was funny because I did move to to a job where I was like, I don't, I know John. I know the people I'm working with. I know the product because I had used it as a consumer. But I don't know what I'm getting myself into. Am I taking on more work? Am I taking on a whole set of different challenges? Is this going to impact me more? I ultimately, you know, over a process of a couple months, decided that it was the best decision for me and that I needed to make that jump. And I was ready. I was ready to take on challenges that were outside of what I was currently working on. So that was kind of my story. So let's dig into that. Are we talking old school pro-con lists? Take me into that process. You're saying you feel like you're ready. And I know how I kind of go about this to determine if I'm ready to make a big change or something. But what's your process? Yeah, there was it was a pro con list. It was talking to a lot of a lot of my advisors, if you will. So it was my husband, who's 
in a completely different field, but has, you know, been in in business in the, the working environment five, ten years longer than I have. It was, okay, he's not that old, but <laughs> <laughs> talking to my parents, it was talking to John, actually, having conversations with you, making sure that I was comfortable with, you know, where I was headed. It was really planning out what I thought I could impact, like make an, how I thought I could make an impact on shape and feeling really confident about that. You know, it was, it, it was a big shift for me going from a, a job where I, I was in product management a year. So I can't even say that I was really that good or even mediocre of a product manager to a place where I felt like I could make a, a bigger impact and faster than I could in my previous role. Yeah, and I think if you look at some you know, tech leaders or thought leaders out there, how do, how do they approach this? How do they think about like big decisions in their life? One that always sort of stands out to me is Drew Hudson of Dropbox. And what he talks about is when he's trying to make big decisions or, or decide what to do, he tries to optimize for learning. So he thinks, okay, am I going to learn the most choosing path A or path B? And I think that's an interesting at least first filter to think about in terms of learning. Now there's salary, there's real life concerns about all these things, but learning is one thing, especially when you're trying to build a career and look that I think is an interesting idea to optimize for. Absolutely. And I came from a a very specific PPC digital advertising background and the idea of being able to take over an entire startup's, you know, marketing efforts. And then eventually that led to customer support and there was a whole host of things that I had never really done in an official capacity that I was really excited to learn and take on um, and get to, you know, be able to devote hours a day learning to that and not feel guilty about that was was kind of huge. So that was definitely something that motivated me or interested me in this position. Yeah, I think when I was looking to make a jump or, or make that big change, when I was kind of looking to go out on my own and like take my little nest egg and, and try the startup life and go for it, I, I think it's really one of those gray area type decisions that you really don't know if you're ready or not. Like you, you think you are ready. You do pull the trigger and make the move. But what I always like to say is CEO is the easiest job to get, period. Because you could quit your job and tomorrow be a CEO. LLCs cost 150 bucks to set up. CEO is a really easy job to get yourself into. Now, the guts to like pull the trigger and go for it is a little bit tougher. But I think it's you got to trust your gut a little bit sometimes when you're making those big calls. So what made you comfortable with pulling that trigger finally? What, what, would, what let you know yeah. you were ready? I, I think there's a couple you know, black and white things that, that helped. I spent a lot of time consulting, saving some cash. I knew I had about 15 months of runway where I didn't have to make a sale period. And I could still work on this thing every day, all day. It turns out it took twice that long. (laughs) So then a year into the runway had to get creative and, and figure some stuff out. But in my head, my goal was give myself a year of time to at least work on what I want to work on every day, full time. And I really leaned on just my gut in a lot of ways. And and I don't really think there's a firm set of checklists you can go through. I think 
you can read all sorts of statistics like 0.01% of all startups make it to whatever, you know, path or profitability or whatever. And you can think about those things, but I hate those stats. I'd rather be like, okay, what are the stats for a B2B type company that already has a couple customers lined up that has the developers ready to do it like what are the stats in in that situation and you're never gonna really get that when i was in my 20s now i'm 35 almost 35 when i was in my 20s talking to guys that were in their mid-30s being like oh what's it like to be so old how are you you know how do you navigate life pre-marriage pre-kids anything and they just say like don't worry about it too much like you'll know And I think that's what I honestly felt through those times was that it wasn't necessarily like any tangible thing lining up. It was just something like if I was listening to that little voice in me, like it knew like, hey, it's time to go for it or now's the time. So there wasn't anything on your mind holding you back at that point? I think you've got all the normal fears, like your paycheck all of a sudden not being there is a fearful thing. I think when your job is such a big part of your life and your paycheck's tied to that, you find a certain amount of worth in it. No matter how much you want to say you don't, you find worth in your bank account and how much it has in it. And going down the startup path killed any of that type of, uh, you know, tying myself to my bank account. I think that's one of the things that I found most energizing through the process of even not making sales and watching the personal savings go down was that still at the end of the day, like I was pretty happy and I was engaged with what I was working on. And I began to start to focus more on those feelings than necessarily the bank account because you have to. I think there's something to be said to feel like you are building a product that is helping people out in a, you know, in some sort of tangible way. And even the iteration of before steady budget which is now known as Shape, was in the case. I feel like, you know, us talking about that product, even when it existed, it it felt like it was going to have a tangible benefit. Now, that's not to say that everyone who has an idea for a SaaS startup, you know, doesn't have a tangible benefit. And like you said, I mean, there's there's some percentage that isn't going to go anywhere. But I think that's one of the things that I recognized even when you were first starting this journey is how excited you were and how much... I could see, because at that time I was still managing a team, that there was some benefit to our team. And that's why ultimately we became one of the first customers and and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I think that's that's one of the things to, to think about as you're debating a big change or a big shift in your day to day. Like, can you can you find one other believer? Can you find one other believer that's within your family circle, friend circle that kind of think it's a good idea? Okay, that's a good hurdle. Now, if you're thinking about starting a company that is going to rely on revenue, can you find a believer that's going to pay you? Okay, they still might be in that friends or family circle. But can you now find somebody outside of that friends and family circle that finds value and is going to pay you? Now you're down the rabbit hole a little bit more, but that's the reality of, of what it's like if that's a business idea you're trying to take on. Well, and then you get to the, can you find someone who believes in their value and is willing to work with you and then commit to that too? Yeah. That's another step. Huge hurdle, really tough. Like finding, I honestly respect the second person that comes on board at startups probably more than I respect the first person that comes on board in a lot of cases because it's it's that 
sort of person that like seeing the belief, seeing the vision and believing it, that that takes just as much courage as the first person. Courage and I think drive, I mean, you have to push that CEO or whatever they've deemed themselves at that point too, to continue to push the company forward in ways that they might not necessarily be comfortable with. Like you may be coming into a position to be a little um, combative, right? Yeah. Because you're not, you're going to share the general vision, the general drive, but maybe there's some disagreement. And that's why, I mean, obviously you see with Microsoft, with Google, with all these places, like employees one through 20 are just like rolling in the dough to the point of obnoxiousness. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, I want to beat you, but like still, <laughs> because, because it's a hard fought battle. It's a really hard fought battle in that first push, that first, you know, getting yeah. the profitability or getting to whatever your goal is, whether it's IPO or et cetera. And I think that's what you need to be thinking about if you're looking to make a move from a bigger company to a smaller company, you're going to be asked for your opinion more. Your opinion is going to matter more. You're going to be able to have more autonomy over the changes. And I see Nicole give me a face. So well, that's on down. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, I, that was one of the things that wasn't necessarily um, a driver of my decision to come over to shape, but it was one of the things that I was, it was highly refreshing was the fact that at my former agency, a lot of the decisions and the things that we wanted to implement just took a lot of time, planning, effort, approval by multiple levels of people. And the first day I came over to Shape and I was like, I'd like to do this. And John was just like, have at it. And I was like, there is so much autonomy and so it's so quick moving. It was actually a little bit uh, worrisome and anxiety inducing at first because I was like, I'm pushing changes through that I believe that I have in my head the knowledge, the expertise, the data to back up that are smart decisions, but there's no one, I, there's no training wheels. There's no one to stop me from making decisions that are. Yeah. And I think that's what you wanted. And that's what you, you, you were craving when you were honest about it. And I think that's, if you're, if you're looking to make a big change or you're, if you're trying to make a decision within your life to make a change to take on a bigger challenge or to switch jobs or to start a new project. What do you want? It might scare you a little bit, but you, you got to be honest with yourself about what you do want. And what if you're not listening to yourself and really having the guts to be true to what, what you're saying you want, you're not going to be as good of a person to be around. You're not going to be as good of an employee at your current job. The worst thing you can do is stay in that like middle phase. Of being like, oh, I think I want this other thing, but I'm going to stay here in the meantime. I I knew that I always viewed for stretch my day job as like a vehicle and an MBA to like teaching me what was going to help me start my own thing. Like I always had this idea that I was eventually going to start my own thing. So I kind of put my day to day in that lens. And I viewed even like, oh, going to work today at the day job, even if it was tough, I started to look at it like, hey, what can I take on today that's going to learn and, and bolster me going forward when I have my own thing? And if things were moving slow or there are things I didn't agree with, instead of really getting frustrated about it, I was able to have this distance from it because I was just kind of filing it away, being like, all right, this is great. I'm glad I've got to experience this because I'm going to learn from it and, and change that environment in the future. And I think being able to identify what makes you unhappy about your day-to-day, -day, if it's really your job, if it's what you're doing, 
and being able to identify what would make you happy because that's always the tough thing. A lot of people are unhappy with their current situation, but they have no vision or they have no idea of what that next thing they want is. So be able to really articulate what it is you want, and then you can start putting everything that happens to you through that lens. I think that's great advice. I'll take that. I don't really have anything to top that up. (laughs) All right. Let's wrap it there, then. How about that? Perfect. Well, this has been uh, another episode of uh, Shape the Conversation. Hope you guys have gotten some things that you can take to shape your own conversations through the week. You know what to do. Subscribe. And one thing, so a lot of podcasts that I hear, they're like, go uh, rate us five stars. You know, we want 20 more five-star ratings. Who's going to be our first rating on itunes i know we've got some listeners out there we've got no reviews on itunes yet who's going to be the first one to review shape the conversation on itunes you have a chance to make history here i, I thought you weren't going to pressure them into giving us five stars <laughs> i thought you were going to be like no we want to hear honest I said feedback nothing give about us, five stars give us a one, i just wanted five. one review i can handle criticism yeah but you led in with like you know a lot of people say give us five no <laughs> like be honest let us know Rate and review as you see fit on iTunes. Not pressure you in any way. So until next week, hope you guys had a great 4th of July and over and out. Bye, guys.